Well, uh, welcome to episode four. That's four yes. of the uh, Mid Faith Crisis podcast. Uh, my name is Nick Page, writer, layabout, scamp, ne'er do well, and uh, I'm joined by Joe Davis. Joe, yes. how are you doing? I'm very good. Joe Davis, pastor, chef. Pastor Chef, that's a TV programme waiting to happen. (laughs) Could you both cook a meal and counsel somebody? Yeah. And at the end of the the programme, one of you is going to leave the church. (laughs) Oh, I know how that feels. (laughs) Uh, And in the final, you have to perform an exorcism. It'd be great. Uh, well, copyright that idea. Yeah, we, I want to do that. Um, how how's your week been? Yeah, it's been good. I went to see um, Brian Cox. Did you professor and astrophysicist to the stars? Quite literally, Brian Cox. Yeah, yeah, he was in Brighton. Excellent. What an inspiring uh, evening. Brilliant. Yeah. Although I did, uh, I did put, you know, as you do, I put a little Facebook, you know, status up. Very excited, Brian Cox. A little picture, and someone just put. He is an atheist. And that was it. There was no explanation. It was just, he is an atheist. And I thought, that's a really strange thing to put. Should I not therefore listen to any... Was he warning me? Has he have nothing to say because he's an atheist? Uh, has he... Is he, inv- you know, therefore it's... unqualified to speak about cosmology? <laughs> it was just I an interesting comment. you can catch comment. atheism, can't you? That's the thing. It's, I think it's, you can. It's like influenza. Well, it is certainly spreading. <laughs> we should um, what we should do is put up everyone we're going to meet and allow that person just to sort of classify them for to us dis- so know, <laughs> yeah to yeah, label them he's a calvinist or he's a he's an arminian or something like that uh, that would be good yeah yeah how about you anyway what have you been up to um i've uh, been i went to shrewsbury did you which was nice to talk to a hundred men about dark night of the shed Excellent. And that was great. Dark Night of the Shed, listeners, is available in all good bookstores. Indeed. Christmas is coming. Um, and then I, I've, I've, I've just been writing most of the time, still on the Reformation, with old Chuckles Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> when, when is that Calvin, book? Calvinograd, as I like to call Geneva. <laughs> no, I was saying, when will that book actually be in our bookshops? Because I know everyone can't wait to read a book on the Reformation. <laughs> um, June, I think next June. Okay, yeah, great. I think so. Yeah, well, I'll put that in my diary. So, uh, listen, we should uh, get going properly. Have we got any feedback? What have we got? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, first of all, thank you to everyone who has written uh, 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 lovely emails. We really, really appreciate them. Uh, what have we had here? Uh, this is someone who said, I spend most of my reflection time now thinking about double entendres in worship songs and hoping I'm an emergent butterfly. I'm very grateful <laughs> for that. We did have some more serious feedback. And we mentioned a letter last time from someone saying that they felt a bit alienated when they're in the mid-faith crisis, they start to wonder whether their friendships are genuine friendships because people ignore them because they're being Mm. awkward and asking questions. And uh, this person just raised a question um, whether, you know, it's easy to blame other people, but perhaps some of that is, is our fault as well. It's not just them withdrawing from us. We're withdrawing from them a little bit. And they wrote a really thoughtful, um, 
thoughtful email about that. And they were saying certainly, you know, because we're changing, they were saying that the sort of me of four or five years ago would struggle to understand the me of now. And if even I would struggle to understand myself now, you can cut other people a bit of slack. Uh, I thought that was a really uh, thoughtful and helpful one. I won't read them all out, but thank you very much to everyone. And I will say that we we had another one, which wasn't uh, an email. It was actually a post uh, on our Facebook. And uh, a guy responded who who described himself as an atheist. But he put in such thoughtful uh, comments. I mean, really, really helpful. Both atheists and theists can be very vehement and very attacking and aggressive in their views. But this person was not that at all. Uh, They had really intelligent, really articulate comments, all of which are taken board and we shall address in future episodes. So thank you. You know who you are. Oh, that's that's great. I'm just amazed we've got intelligent comments. That's uh, (laughs) that's at a higher level than the show exists. It's true. Our our listeners are, in fact, very intelligent. And I'd I'd love to say, please keep um, rolling in the emails. We'd love to hear from you. Comments, any questions you have. We will try and get through them and, and... we will read out those and, and we're going to be using some of the questions, I think, later for the basis of this show. In yeah, fact, so thank indeed. you so much. Just email joe at midfaithcrisis.org. And if I may also say, if you're enjoying the podcast and you did feel like inviting a few friends to listen, please uh, share it with people. That would be great. That's, there you are. He's he's so good at marketing. <laughs> yeah, and you are so not. <laughs> I'm so rubbish. <laughs> well, listen, I've got a letter as well, actually. Okay. Funnily enough, and this is a letter from a Mrs. Uh, Ethel Saddle person. Oh, yeah. And uh, she writes this She says, uh, Dear Britain's Got Talent, I can't believe you've turned me down for an audition. Worse, you have the nerve to say that what I do is not so much a talent, more a criminal offence. Anyway, if you're not going to allow me to audition, then please can you explain to me how we got the Bible and how we should read it? Which is amazing, isn't it? Because that <laughs> is pretty much the topic we planned. <laughs> that was the one we were going for this week. Uh, what a coincidence. She's a very faithful listener. <laughs> so, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about the Bible. Uh, but I thought what we should do first is just do what is recommended by most uh, people who, who teach uh, anything about the Bible. And that is just open the Bible at random and see, you know, and, and take a yeah. verse as a prophecy about ourselves. How do you feel about that? I think it's a great idea. So shall I start? Sure, why not? Yeah. Okay, right, well, let's just flick through. Here we go, and stop. Oh, it's in Job. Uh, this yeah. is Job 19, verse 17. Uh, this is one for me, and it says, My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Beautiful, mm. beautiful. That's speaking right into you. It, it, that, Can I have it, a go? Couldn't be more appropriate, actually. <laughs> yes, Can I have a go? you go. Yeah, go on then. Okay, here. Uh, okay, so uh, this is Deuteronomy, and it's chapter 23, and verse 10. And there's one for you as well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> is, if, is it? If, if, if one of your men is unclean because of a nocturnal <laughs> emission, he is to go outside the camp and stay there. Wow. <laughs> it is uncanny. Isn't it? Perhaps we should just dwell with that for a moment. Yes. <laughs> Let's just have a reflection on that. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, anyway, actually, do you know what? This funny thing is because um, uh, I used to teach <laughs> some sort of biblical study stuff. You know how you get those um, posters of kittens and in baskets with verses yeah. from the Psalms on? You know, if you go to the Christian shop. So I used to do, why don't we do the least appropriate uh 
you know, um, <laughs> Christian calendar is what I really wanted to do. <laughs> and so I used to give them like magazines and they would cut cut out a sort of beautiful pictures and then put a terrible Bible verse on. They got one here. <laughs> and I, can you see this? Look, I'll show this to you and I'll put this on the website. Look at that lovely picture. Oh, yeah. Of, uh, now, so it's a picture of two two lovely sort of tropical birds, beautiful colour. And, and the, the verse they've put with it says, Then, grasping the bird by its wings, the priest will tear the bird apart, though not completely. <laughs> Leviticus one seventeen. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so we're going to the Bible is a weird is a weird thing, really. It's, a, it's it has its, that's a quote. It, so we had we did have some questions in about yeah. this. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, this is a legitimate question uh, asked by someone who says, "Why do Christians persist in using the Bible like a textbook, i.e., continuously looking for the answer?" Rather than entering a conversation, well, that's a great question. It is. A, it is a great question, and it's. I think it's to, to, the idea of having having a conversation with scripture, having a dialogue with scripture, sounds a bit odd. But I actually do think this is the heart of what it means. You know how how scripture speaks to us, really. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I'd I'd, I'd kind of like to concentrate on that. I mean, I, for me, one of the important things to to remember, and that we're never taught really, is that. Um, the whole creation of the Bible actually begins in dialogue, really. It begins with um, uh, Christians deciding, the early church deciding, what is Scripture? What's, what, what constitutes it? What is this, this, right. this Bible? Because right. they, if you think about it, they didn't have what we have. They didn't have the, the book. Um, they, had a, they had a lot of different scraps and, and then biographies of Jesus and all kinds of stuff. Right. From early on, they had this, I ought to point out. I'm not right. you know, saying they, they didn't, make, they didn't uh, sort of make it up later on they had it from early on but they had to decide which bits formed um scripture it wasn't it didn't sort of drop whole into the lap of the early church most people have that they have this picture of how the bible was delivered and it goes sort of like this basically that that there's saint paul he's sitting there in in a room in rome somewhere and then this this chariot or something draws up federal expressus outside and <laughs> and it stops outside there's a knock at the door and he opens it and then there's, there's a sort of messenger there of some kind a slight glow to him and he hands paul this sort of ancient <laughs> jiffy bag paul says what's this he says he says it's the bible and paul sort of opens it and he thumbs to the back and he goes wow look at that i got i got in it that's amazing look how much i got oh no romans they put that one in that was a, i meant that as a joke <laughs> yeah. and, you know, the idea is that um the, the the bible as a whole was sort of um fedexed exactly to the desk yeah. of st paul exactly and it was delivered whole but the truth is it was decided which of the writings were inspired and, and inspired doesn't mean that's the other thing. Inspired doesn't mean dictated. You know, inspired comes from, and I'm going to throw some Latin at you. Oh, for goodness' Joe, sake! Here we go. Mind? Uh, inspired comes from inspirare. Spirare, breathe. I remember that from Harry Potter. It's okay. Do you? Yeah, it's it's uh, basically the formula the early church did use was inspirare, expelliarmus. That's it. That's what I'm looking for. Inspirare, expelliarmus. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they inspire. It means God breathed. It means that these these are the writings they think that has um, the breath of God, the, the life of God, in these pages. Okay. And that means that's what makes Scripture able to speak back to us. I believe that's that's how it works. I'll tell you a little story. I like this story. I often use it with them. Um, I'm talking about the Bible. There's a a story of a, a a woman in Africa in an African village, and she's always reading her Bible. She's always got her Bible with her. She's always carrying it around, always reading it. To, and the other women say to her, "Why are you reading that book? Why are you always reading that book?" 
And she says, oh, yeah, you can read other books, but this is the book that reads me. Uh, and yeah. I, I, yeah. I really like that little simple story because I think that's really um, yeah. what it's all about, that we, that we are... We read it and we are read by it. We're kind of engaged in an almost relationship with it. Yeah, and that's 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 a cue for some of the only Latin I know, Lectio Divina, which is this idea of re- of allowing the Bible to breathe and speak to us, allowing the Bible to read us yeah. as much as we speak it out loud. I yeah. love that, yeah. Lectio Divina means uh, holy reading, divine. Yeah, I knew you'd know exactly what it means. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah it's... it's uh, that makes sense. <laughs> it's actually. another Harry Potter spell, really. <laughs> Lectio invokes... Divina! <laughs> invokes the invisibility cloak or something uh, but I, I do like that because i think um that that that's what makes the bible we're, we're engaged in a kind of conversation with it and that's what i think this this question was about was because actually all right you know those verses we sort of picked mm. earlier um you know a bit of a silly joke but i think that is what pe- what people often think about the bible that they're just going to yeah. open it and it's going to tell them what to do yeah really yeah. They want it to be a, a book of instructions. They want it to be, uh, you know, simple and, and literally true. Can I say something about this? And feel free to edit, the, edit this bit out as much I'll as you like. I will edit you out. Thank you, as you so often do. But I remember being at college and uh, we, we had a very eminent Old Testament um, lecturer. And uh, it was him who said to his unsuspecting evangelical crowd of young men, and it was mostly young men, uh, of course, you do realise that the story of Jonah is a parable. There was not actually, literally, a large fish. And you could hear our mouths falling open. And seriously, some of the students wanted proposed that we get rid of this lecture. And they started a little pressure group called Friends of the Fish. <laughs> to defend the fact that, of course, there was yeah, seriously to defend the fact there was seriously a literal fish, and if you do not believe there was a literal fish in the story of Jonah, regardless of what Jews may think, yeah. uh, we know the truth, and there was. So, yeah, that was that was a turbulent Can I ask you a time. About that, then. So a lot of um, people go off to Bible college or seminary or whatever, where they are exposed to different ways of reading the Bible, yeah. different ideas about what the texts are. They then come back into church and we yeah. don't hear any of that they never say that to us they've yeah. they've gone and sort of dealt with all that but the rest yeah. of us who are in fact asking the same questions and yet we don't get to engage with that why does that happen uh, yeah well this is exactly the point my wife keeps saying when she reads these books and everything is and go did you know this and i go yeah we learned that at college why didn't you tell me she said <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i I do have an answer for that. I'm not sure it's relevant for this for this podcast, but I will just say fear is what stops it. There is within just about every church I've ever encountered, there is a vocal minority of people who interpret the Bible a certain way. And if you suggest any other way of interpreting it, will basically judge you and make your life uncomfortable. They may even get rid of you as the minister. That's how Gosh. important it is for them to believe their interpretation of scripture. Yeah. So what tends to happen is you you act safe. You don't raise those questions. And that's why I think so many people end up having a mid-faith crisis because they're going, you know, these answers we used to hear don't really seem to satisfy us. Anymore. Yes. Yes. So pe- so people feel afraid and they kind of adopt a, um, a you know, a safe, a contained approach. And it's quite a quite a lazy approach to the Bible, isn't it? In actual fact, I mean, because we want we want God to just tell us what to do, rather than think yes, about it. Yes, but equally, I mean, obviously, there are things that the Bible does tell us to do. I wouldn't want to say there aren't. I mean, the, the Danish uh, theologian Kierkegaard, he said, 
He was often he, asked about. He produced lovely chocolate eggs, I believe, as well. Yeah, well, he said, he said this. He said, "Het de snurdy, de gerdy snurdy burden, mit de gerdy snurdy." I'll translate. Thanks. I'll translate. Well, no, what he said was, people often ask him, you know, what about the difficult bits of the Bible? And he said, well, why don't you concentrate on the easy bits of the Bible first? There's stuff we're told to do. Now, I suppose the thing is, even that, I guess, has a dialogue involved. So Jesus says, "Love your neighbour." Well, what does that? Yeah, who's your neighbour? Yeah. Look like. I can grasp mm. that, but also I've actually still got to work that out. I've still got to kind of do a lot of thinking about that. And the other thing I would say about this conversation thing is that the Scripture has a conversation with itself. The Bible has a dialogue within itself going on. I had this email, uh, actually, from somebody who also said this, and I, I like it. He said, um, a few years ago I found myself seriously asking myself if both of the following statements are true. The Bible is true... Not entirely and literally true, but a faithful and accurate recording of God's workings. And the bits that are clearly not poetry are to be taken as true. And number two, he said, God commanded kings to commit genocide, including the babies. <laughs> and then he goes, yeah, he, he, exactly he says, right. I still hold, I still held a high view of scripture, including the Old Testament. Yet the Old Testament now seems to me to be quite bonkers with bits that I'm really hoping aren't true or were taken wildly out of context. Well, you know, I can't, you know small podcast even assuming that i knew solve a lot of those issues because yeah. i think they, they they require a lot of thought what i would say is that the bible asks exactly those questions yeah. and I, i'll give you an example yeah. if i may in two kings which is a sort of entertainingly um, gory history of israel and judah um there's a, a a guy called jehu he's anointed by elisha or by uh, by prophet on behalf of elisha to go basically and take over Israel. So he goes and he slaughters King Joram and he goes to Jezreel where Jezebel throws herself out the window. It's in 2 Kings 9 and it's great stuff really. It's like Tarantino <laughs> does ancient history because he also slaughters uh, 70 of the sons of Ahab and he invites the prophets of Baal to a celebration telling we're going to have a great time, we're going to worship Baal together, we're going to mm. sing some Baal worship oh, yes. songs. Um, How great yeah. is our Baal? And, and, yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Baal wants me for a sunbeam, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And uh, and they come along, and then he says, "Oh no, I was lying." He locks the door and kills them all. And you get this um, statement where uh, in in two kings, uh, here it is, two kings ten, verse thirty. The Lord says to Jehu, "Because you have done well in carrying out what I consider right, and in accordance with all that was in my heart, have dealt with the house of Ahab, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel." So that's good. So it sounds as though Jehu even though he launched this terrible bloodbath, yeah. did well. But then and did you what go God to... wanted. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But then you go to Hosea. Hosea 1, verse 4. Okay. And the Lord said to him, said to Hosea, Name him Jezreel, for in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Oh, dear. So, which <laughs> is it? Which is it? And I think, actually, the truth is that the prophets are having a dialogue with the past. They're having a dialogue with the, with their scriptures and saying, actually, that 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 statement is not right. That's a misunderstanding of God. Yeah. We have to work at it. And and that's exactly what the prophets do. Don't they? they they have this bit where they, they, they look at the law and they go, well, actually, I'm not sure God does want all these sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah. And, and isn't even Jesus continuing that conversation? Because he picks up the scriptures and goes, you've heard it said this, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or you've heard it said this, don't commit adultery. You've heard it said this, don't commit 
uh, murder. And he then interprets that in a new way mm. for a new audience yeah. and, and a different era yeah. and a new time. So, so Jesus is continuing the conversation. And I dare say Paul is doing exactly the same things. Yeah, absolutely. They all and the early church yeah. did it, and the, and the reformers have done it, and everybody does it. We look again at the scriptures and we have that dialogue with them. How do they relate to our experience? How do they relate to our life? How do we really understand uh, what's going on there? And I think that's all. Uh, it's that, so helpful. That's it's about. so helpful because for me, this 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 cuts to the heart of one of the major dilemmas I've had as a Christian, and, and I think probably as part of the mid-faith crisis, is, look, Jesus seems like a really nice guy. Love your enemies, forgive people yeah. endlessly, do all this. But his dad, you know, yeah. he, he just yeah. slaughters people and kills people. Yes. He can't forgive people. And so if we do what I think you're saying here, which is saying, no, look, what we've got in the Bible is a record of what people earnestly feeling and were believing God was saying to them, but in Jesus... We've got a kind of fuller revelation of it. Now we can go back to those really difficult passages and view them through the lens of Jesus and go, ah, something different was happening here. And yeah. that, for me, yeah. is the only satisfying answer I've ever heard about, you know, the genocide in the in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there are other approaches, and they're to do with what na what what the nature of that writing sure. is. And I will, I, I I'd like to talk about that sometime, yeah. but. I think what I would encourage people first and foremost to do is, is to is to have that conversation with the Bible itself, to actually yeah. enter into it and to say, what is the Bible saying? And so how would people go about that? Well, I think there are, are a number of ways. I mean, one one is to sort of imagine yourself into the story. So when, whenever you, you, you're involved in a story, whenever you you see that, whether it's it's one of those difficult parts of the Old Testament or whether it's, it's, it's Jesus teaching by the seashore or whatever, imagine yourself there. And, and and imagine it's addressed to you. I mean, you know, what what is this saying to me? How does Jesus uh, look at me? How, what is he saying to me? All those questions that Jesus asks. He he asks some great questions. Um, yeah. Who are you? What do you want? What are you Brilliant. afraid of? Why are you crying? Those are brilliant questions to kind of imagine they're addressed to you, and then think how would you answer them? Another thing I, I'd like to do is is recommend a little a little exercise that my wife <laughs> suggested to me. No, it's not that one. No. It's the oh, other. Okay. So, well, she she did this. She's very inventive, Claire, as you know. Um, and she does this thing with uh, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. You know that famous passage, which I'll just find. So 1 Corinthians something. 1 Corinthians 13. You know, the very famous passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. She suggested, what, was, what does it sound like if we replace the word love with our name? How does that reflect on me? How, yeah. What about if I use that? Instead of a statement just about love, I say, oh. Nick is patient. Nick is kind. Nick is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. I think it's falling down. It's falling down already. It's, it's not going well. <laughs> but it enables me to reflect on yeah. on myself. Yeah. You know, then you're starting, I think, to to do a third way of reading the Bible, which is neither, which is not really to get obsessed with whether it's literally true or or metaphorically sure. true. And and I do have a high view of Scripture. I do believe that the Gospels, for example, are historically true. But but I, I just want to put that to one side for one minute and just say, what about if it's just talking to me? How do I enter that? How do yeah. I stand on this um, holy ground? Mm. 
Well, well, that sounds great. We'll have more conversation about it. I was just going to say about the 1 Corinthians passage. I, I mm. did an exercise once where you replaced love with God because God is love. Ah, brilliant. So God is patient. God is kind. Yeah. God is, you know. Because and, and, it's and like maths. God different... equals love. <laughs> yeah. So you just replace Yeah, well, I think that's great. Again, yeah. you're, you're perhaps just entering into it and, and not just sort of look at opening up and saying, oh, yeah, well, this yeah. is what I'm supposed to believe, so I better just absorb this. You know, but actually yeah. engaging with it. What about you? How do you how do you kind of approach um, the Bible? Uh, differently at different times. So so sometimes you know you read it almost like a novel. So you go for a big right. old chunk of it, and uh, you know that has its own benefits. So for example, most people never sit down and read a whole gospel. Mm. They just read like a few verses from a gospel. But actually, there's great value in reading a whole gospel. Mm. And actually, themes emerge that you've never seen before when you've just been reading little bits. But another time, I, yeah, I was going through a phase where, I, to be honest, I just did not want to read the Bible. And I found it very difficult and I found it pretty lifeless and listless and dull and, and like it wasn't saying anything to me. So I just spent three months reading the same verse. It wasn't that verse you quoted earlier, was it? <laughs> no, there were no nocturnal emissions <laughs> yeah, in this, in this verse. Um, no, it was a verse, well, it's Colossians 3, verse 12. I'd try and remember it, but how embarrassing now if I don't remember it. But it was some words to the effect of, you know, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, uh, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience now you may think that's a very unspectacular verse to read for three months but i spent time with each of those five things mm. and uh, and i you know i guess you'd really have to ask other people whether it transformed me but i feel like it did transform me and i felt it did set up a slightly new agenda for my life and i looked at life with a different way through a different lens as a result of living that way because i don't find those five things naturally particularly exciting Compassion, humility, uh, gentleness, kindness, patience, you know, they're not particularly, you know, strong things, really. But the more I studied them, the more I realised this is exactly the kind of person I want to be becoming. Mm. Well, more than enough from us, I think. Yeah, thank you. It's been big. It's It's been huge, Joe. Not just big, it's been huge. And, yes, uh, yeah. Indeed it has. All right. So we'll see you in two weeks' time. Great. Cheers. Bye now. Bye. Bye.